Welcome to Intelligent Edge Yoga, yoga conversations for smart, compassionate practice with Catherine Ann Flynn. I'm Catherine. This week, I wanted to talk about a component of practice that everyone experiences to practice and teach to music or not. Some teachers love to teach to music and others feel strongly that silence is best for the mind. My own preferences and opinions have evolved with the rest of my practice and critical thinking on yoga, but more on that later. It's a, it's a really important component of practice to think about, particularly for those of us who teach dominantly in drop-in class yoga studios. We always struggle with striking a balance between cultivating an atmosphere that is of service to our students, being supportive to our students, but also not being such hard work that they are overwhelmed and never return. And music is a, it's a subjective aspect of practice. And by that, I mean that it is subject to preference. If something is objective, it's considered to be free of the influence of opinion. So we could say that, you know, we have five dogs. That's an objective statement if you have five dogs. But if they are five chihuahuas, and you are an opinionated person about what constitutes a dog, that statement gets a little troubled. Music is subject to uh, the same opinions. We might say that we can all agree music is music, but there's lots of music out there that doesn't make the cut for a music definition. My teacher says that a practice based on preference doesn't actually form a practice, or at least not one that's healthful to our evolution. But she's talking about content and the need to skillfully apply yoga tools. I don't need to learn to skillfully apply death metal to my yoga practice and call it a cleansing technique. At least I don't think I do. And preference of music matters. When we hear music we know and like, we're flooded with dopamine, a chemical that's involved in motivation and reward, as well as oxytocin, which is the love and bonding neurochemical. We get the same feelings when we spend time with friends or see pictures of loved ones when we listen to music that we know and like, which is why as a 33-year-old woman from the suburbs of Toronto, I hear anthems for a 17-year-old girl from Broken Social Scene and feel all warm and fuzzy. No doubt I'll vinyasa to that for eternity. And someone who loves hip-hop music and is only beginning to develop a taste for a yoga posture practice, they may be willing to show up to a class when there are really sweet tunes, and they might find that really motivating. You know, many of us have uh, moved through a strong practice on our yoga mats, much in the same way we move through a workout to really peppy, fun, motivating music. We're naturally motivated to move when we hear music that you know, has a little bit of a rhythm and feels joyful to us. If you are playing music in your classes that is not not popular, or at least not popularly known, you're relying on the atmospheric quality of the music. And there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, music written in major keys produces happier reactions, and music written in minor keys tend to produce sad reactions. An emotive reaction is not necessarily of service to our practice. We 
want to create spaces where we feel comfortable to have the experience we're going to have. Yet we are trying to cultivate a practice that helps us in non-reactivity. So, oh, this memory comes up and it has historically been a painful memory for me. However, it can come up, I can sit with it, and I can acknowledge that there is pain and I am not overwhelmed by it. Because when we go into emotional overwhelm, our body reacts like a stress reaction. Our heart rate elevates, our breathing grows shallow. It is a stressful experience. Stress hormones are sent cascading throughout the body. That is the opposite of what we are trying to do in a yoga class. And I think some people who are hearing perhaps for the first time that there are yoga classes out there to hip hop are having a stress reaction to that news. I learned a long time ago that you may make women of a particular age cry in your classes if you play too much Stevie Nicks or Joni Mitchell, especially if you play the second version of Joni Mitchell's both sides now, the one that's much sadder and more reflective on her life. There's nothing wrong with your students crying in class. I've cried in many yoga classes. It's just perhaps not uh, the kindest, most beneficial thing to be trying to extract from your students. Practicing to music may also not be the safest option for everyone. And I want to be careful when I talk about safety because I'm not trying to engender fear. I actually think that there's a little too much cultivating of fearfulness in the yoga community around safety. However, a study on teenage drivers demonstrated that the drivers made more mistakes, including failing to signal and tailgating while driving when listening to music of their preference, rather than when they drove to music chosen by the driving instructor, so-called safe music, or when driving to silence. We could say something about the teenage brain here, but it raises the question, if we're trying to be skillful practitioners to heighten mindfulness, improve practice efficiency, and prevent injury, is music possibly detrimental if it's clearly distracting? Another study showed that listening to classical music improved visual attention in stroke patients. Compared with unpleasant music and white noise, participants rated their moods as more positive and arousal as higher with pleasant music. But more importantly, it's not just that they preferred their experience, it also showed significant improvement on all tasks. This has to do with classical music or instrumental music. With the wide variety of contemporary classical available now, there's lots of music out there for you, and all of it could provide this benefit without being Bach or Brahms. Not to mention the lack of intense crescendos that sometimes eliminates certain classical pieces as possible yoga class soundtracks. I can't tell you how many classes I've thought, oh, this would be so suitable. This, this track is so beautiful. I have failed to listen to it all the way through, and then turns out there's a really loud portion and a cymbal crash. So that's just a that's just a quick and dirty tip. Make sure you listen to your soundtracks all the way through before you ever play them for a yoga class. There is a significant amount of research evidence from studies using a wide range of methods that show 
pro-social content and media can increase different types of pro-social behavior. What is pro-social behavior? It's any kind of behavior deemed altruistic and in the service of good to others, which to me sounds fairly like a really good goal for our yoga practice. I teach yoga because I want more people to be happy, healthy, compassionate people. It starts with them, and I know it ripples outward. So I think this is a great goal. And what this means is that the lyrics of our songs might really matter. And that's terrific because there are so many wonderful yogic musicians now. I think of Trevor Hall's song, Forgive. If we played that more in our classes, would our students benefit from a more forgiving attitude? We can harness the power of familiar music and classical music in our class planning. If we consistently teach to the same music, especially that which is supportive of atmosphere with major keys, few and positive lyrics, eventually those tracks will become familiar to students and they will have the same dopamine oxytocin response. That landed for me when a student of mine, Janice, she only practices with me once a week. I was surprised when she said she finds my music so calming and she looks forward to those first couple of opening tracks. And I was surprised because I didn't think that it was music that anyone who wasn't a yoga teacher would know. And I relatively use the same music most of the time. It's generally atmospheric, some with lyrics. And this particular class I had evolved to next to no lyrics and mostly supportive music. And that's because it's a class that has many regular students as well as a consistent stream of new to the studio and new to yoga students. And when you have students who are new to yoga, they are already feeling frustrated and possibly confused and a little hyper. And if they are trying to sort out what I mean when I say, you know, move your hand here, shift your knees over there, engage this, relax that, because we're talking about people who do not know what warrior two is. That's new language to them. If I then add on top of that musical lyrics, that is a lot for their brain to ingest and make sense of in one moment. So I learned that that class was best served overall by having atmospherically supportive instrumental only music. Some of my favorites right now are Olafur Arnold's, Abby Gunderson, Garth Stevenson, and Max Richter. Even though students do not know these artists' names, although I highly recommend that you now listen to them, that you do, eventually, if you play this music over and over again, it becomes familiar to them. And they like that. Like Janice mentioned, she looks forward to it. I think that's really refreshing because the effort that goes into creating yoga playlists is immense. Whether students are new to yoga or they are new to you as a teacher, we want to create the opportunity where they have a good enough practice that they come back uh, either to yoga at all or to your class. 
The first time that I taught a regularly scheduled class at a new studio, years and years ago, I was taking the class over from the owner. And owners always have this owner's mystique, right? Everyone always loves what they've done because the studio is typically representative of their vision. So whether students practice with the owner or not, they tend to really believe that what the owner has to offer is of value. And if they're running a successful yoga studio, chances are it is. But I was stepping into some very big shoes or at least some very big Birkenstocks because this was a primetime class. 7.30 on a weekday evening, it had been packed uh, while it was still her class. And so I show up for the first time to teach this class and I'm a, I'm a confident young teacher. I feel like I know what I'm delivering when I deliver a class. And at the time, I still teach to quite a bit of music. And this was before streaming services were widely available and everything was downloadable MP3s. So there are a lot of mashup songs that I used to love and listen to that I can't uh, offer anymore because I now do my playlists using streaming services. So prior to that, I had a blend of Juicy by Notorious B.I.G. and the XX, the indie band from England. And it was called Juicy R. It was so good. It's the best track. You should really, you should go find it and listen to it. Anyway, I was playing this track and all of a sudden in this room filled with people, I think it held 50 people, this woman yells, turn it down. And I think, okay, you know, I'm playing some peppy music. Fair enough. She can't hear me. So I go over to the dial and I I turn the dial down a bit. And I said, you know, am am I clearer to hear? And she said, no, that's not it. Turn it off. It's not yoga. And it was taking me a little while to figure out where this person was because I believe everyone was prone on the ground for you know, a locust backstring sequence. And I, I've just, you know, adrenaline, adrenaline rush, my heart gripped, my face flushed because in that split second, I'm thinking I'm new to this studio. Am I going to get fired? I'd really like to teach this class, but I also disagree with her. This is not the way to handle this. What am I going to do? And so I said, you know, on that note, we're going to have to agree to disagree. And I'll turn it down for now. And so I went over to the music and I faded it out. And then taught in silence for, you know, 20, 30 minutes. And toward the end of class, gradually faded in some pleasant instrumental or maybe some, you know, acoustic cold play. Because I wanted to make the point that it was still my class and I didn't want to demonstrate that she had scared me out of my opinion. At the same time, the class was not advertised as a class with music. I since learned that the studio celebrates teaching frequently without music. And I understand that even though she did not handle it, perhaps in the most compassionate way, she had shown up expecting to downregulate and the music I had chosen was not helping her do that. If we're going to talk about music, we also have to talk about the absence of music. 
as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, some teachers feel that silence is imperative to mindful practice, but I think it's actually a skill that is eventually developed. When I started practicing yoga asana routinely, my grad student life was shrouded in silence. I had an immense amount of work to complete on a weekly basis, and I'm someone who acknowledges multitasking is ineffective. I cannot read and listen to music with lyrics at the same time. So my life was really quiet, and when I went to my yoga practice, it was often the only communication with other people that I would have in person in a day. It was often the only noise I would have in a day. So I thought it was brilliant to go to these, you know, power vinyasa classes that were filled with terrific music because a lot of the teachers teaching at the studio were grad students around my age. It was only as my needs changed and my life got louder and busier that I started to appreciate that a silent practice could be a really beautiful practice. So I think that's important to remember. Our practice should be in response to our needs. Some people need some noise and some pep. Some people need some quiet. The important thing is whether you have to be able to practice with music or silence. You know, we want to think in our yoga practice of the things that feel really easy for us and the things that feel really challenging and develop some equanimity across those experiences back to being non-reactive. So we want to be able to practice without the music on, but we also want to, you know, not shout at a teacher when they play a song that doesn't necessarily speak to us. And I think that skill develops with time. Most of us come to the practice out of a physical need, and that's a really good thing, right? Yoga does an excellent job at addressing our physical needs. The emotional and mental needs, as the opportunities increase to develop skillfulness at addressing those, we will have uh, just a more diverse toolkit, right? So if we practice with a little bit of silence once in a while— and then increase our exposure, eventually silence itself won't be so scary. Even five minutes of silence has been demonstrated as beneficial for the brain. And considering it's a really noisy world out there, and students land on their mats stressed out, this is important to consider. Stress hormones, like cortisol and adrenaline, they resolve through physical exercise. Helping your students work through their stress hormones is essential to a practice, and music may or may not be of service to them. But if you've done your job well as a yoga teacher, then you can create space for silence within class, especially toward the end or in Shavasana. They'll have done quite a bit of exercise by that point, they'll have brought the stress hormones down, and then they'll be more open to silence. I'd like to take a couple of minutes for those of you who are interested to talk about the practical aspects of building playlists. So I have built playlists with both iTunes, Apple Music, and Spotify. I use Apple Music simply because I have everything Apple and I like the synchronicity it provides across my devices. 
I like some opportunities with Spotify as well, including more opportunities for mashup music that is not available on Apple Music. But if I pop open my iTunes and I look at my list of playlists, and there are many, many, many playlists here, I can see Flow 75, numbers 1 through 10, Intense Flow 75, where the music is you know, occasionally more emotional, a little bit more drumming. I have mellow flows and then I have atmospheric tracks and yin tracks. So tracks that are uh, very, very supportive for a quiet environment. I used to build playlists the way I used to teach. It was a narrative that opened with setting the scene And then quite quickly moved into familiar exercise-oriented territory. So we might open, do a little bit of stretching to some atmospheric music, but quite quickly we were up and standing and doing things like sun salutations and lunging postures. My teaching changed quite dramatically in terms of how I structure classes More on that in a future episode. But I learned that if my playlist only has a couple of more atmospheric instrumental tracks up front and then it's moving into these, you know, anthems that are really motivating for exercise, I better get to some motivating exercise. Otherwise, it just it doesn't work. You know, you can't play uh, quick peppy music if people are still down on the ground holding their knee into their chest. And so I learned to build myself a really big runway of music that could lend itself both to floor work as well as to a standing practice. So now if I do have a soundtrack that's got a few songs with lyrics, they happen much further into the soundtrack. It's also important when you play music, I feel, to only touch your music when you have to. A friend of mine told me a story about going to see a really well-known teacher and feeling like they played iPod DJ most of the time because they'd put on a track and then they'd, you know, mosey back to the class and start teaching and then mosey back to their iPod and, you know, step your right foot forward uh, stand up and lift your hands as because they were distracted while they were looking at their iPhone trying to pick the next track. And I guess if you're a really big deal, then you know maybe you don't have to pre-select your music, but there's just too many of us out there who can't get away with that. So set yourself up so that if you have a 75 minute or a 90 minute class, your whole soundtrack is 75 or 90 minutes. And then, and also if you didn't know this, when you're in edit mode in your iPhone, you can't actually see how long the playlist is. You have to exit edit mode and then scroll to the bottom and it'll tell you, you know, one hour, 19 minutes. You can always at an appropriate time, go up to your music, fade it out for 20, 30 minutes during the wind down of your class. And if you have some really beautiful Shavasana music toward the end, go back and slowly fade it in. 
But if your whole playlist is exactly the length of your class, you're not going to need to go hunting for that track. You just need to fade out and fade in. Similarly, if you don't like that approach and you actually want to be completely hands off, you can find silence tracks and you just need to pad your soundtrack with a few silence tracks and then the music will obviously fade in and out of its own accord. Another thing that is important to pay attention to when you are setting up your music, especially if you like going to the gym or running with your iPhone, is ensuring that your playlist is not on shuffle. One of my students, Kayla, who is a delightful being and a track star. Hi, Kayla. She did her practice teaching in her teacher training, and I was I was doing the class, and we opened, and it was this really nice track. It was, it was totally suitable to opening a yoga class. And then we're in something, you know, sweet and stretchy like Reclined Pigeon, and all of a sudden it's hip-hop. But then it moved on and, you know, back to tinkly atmospheric music and then some more Coldplay because yoga teachers love Coldplay and and back and forth. And there really seemed to be no rhyme or reason to it. Even into Shavasana, the music was lovely and then it was peppy again. And so I'm chatting with her about her practice teach. I said, you know, you had some really lovely music in there, but I have to say you might want to think about the order. And she said, Oh yeah. Yeah, I did. It was all, it was all specially ordered, but unfortunately I didn't take my iPod off shuffle and I was too nervous to go switch it. (laughs) And, and trust me, your, your students will have a superior experience if you're just quiet for a minute or two and you go fix the playlist. In conclusion, We want to set our students up for success in the same way that they need a diversity of practice to have a really resilient practice. They are also coming from different needs and backgrounds and preferences. So what is beneficial and healthful to one student on one day may not be the same for the same student the next day but definitely might not be of service to everyone else in the room. So we have to be thoughtful in how we use music as a tool for enhancing our teaching rather than subtracting from it. Some music that is motivating and that you can teach over is really important. As much as Joni Mitchell might elicit tears from a certain segment of society, I'm not going to teach to music that I get overly emotional to. When I show up to teach a class, it's important that to the best of my ability on that day, I am as calm and centered as I can. Because if you've taught yoga for a while, you know that things can go sideways quite quickly when you're working with people allowing themselves to be vulnerable in the service of their health. If you teach to music that you find garners an emotional reaction from you, it should come off your playlists. That means that we probably need to retire playing uh, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah in yoga classes. I've had a few comments from a few students that we're getting a little predictable in that one. If you're interested in reading more on some of the studies that I've referenced in this episode, I've linked to those articles from the show notes that you can find on the website 
at www.intelligentedge.yoga. If you enjoyed listening, consider leaving an iTunes review. They really help my mom find the podcast. I'm developing this podcast because I want to be of service and I want to be in conversation with my yoga community locally and the larger yoga community. So if you have questions or challenges to any of the things I've said or would like to hear more about particular aspects of practice or yoga life, I would love to hear your feedback. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to talking to you next time. Namaste for now, yogis. Yogis.